welcome to episode 154 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to come up with the perfect name for a board game. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we are talking about game names. First, we discuss a game we both played recently, Switch and Signal. Then, we revisit a topic we discussed a few years ago and share our thoughts on what makes a good board game name. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Before we get into the main episode, we wanted to remind you all that we also, in addition to being a podcast, we have a Twitch and a YouTube channel. So on Twitch, which is a live streaming website, we stream board games and other content every Tuesday and Thursday night, 7.30, or well, Tuesdays is earlier. Yeah, Tuesday starts around 6 to 6.30 p.m. And Mm -hmm. then Thursdays is 7.30 p.m. Yeah, Pacific time. And then we have a YouTube channel, Board Game Blitz, where... I've been making some more YouTube videos, trying to publish at least once a week. Some of them are very short, (laughs) but that's fun. And then also, if you prefer to listen to the podcast in YouTube video form, it's just a video with like some words on it, but we have a separate YouTube channel for the Board Game Blitz podcast. So I can link that in the show notes if you'd rather listen on YouTube. Yeah, we just wanted to make sure y'all, if you've maybe discovered us recently and you thought mm-hmm. we were just a podcast, we're not. We do other things. And yeah. we, um, we've um we been having a lot of fun on Twitch, especially over mm-hmm. the past couple of years as we've grown our audience there. And uh, on Tuesday nights, I actually host Community Game Night. So yeah. if you are in a position where you really like playing board games with other people, but you're not able to, you don't have a local game group or you're not able to get out and play games as often as you'd like, you can actually come join me on Tuesday evenings on Twitch and play board games online with me and a bunch of other lovely humans. And it's pretty fun. Yeah. And you also play games on weekends sometimes too. So that's just true. Not streamed, but just in our discord. So join our discord. (laughs) Yeah. Join the discord. The link is in the show notes. We uh, have a lot of lovely people playing lots of lovely games and having lots of cool discussions as well. For the second time in not that long, Ambie and I both got to play the same game and are going to get to talk about it together. Hooray! Yeah, we didn't play it together, though. (laughs) That's true. Although we theoretically could could. have. Yes, that's true. But we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But we could in the future if we want to. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, the game, (laughs) we, we got a review copy of Switch and Signal, which is published in 2020, designed by David Thompson and published by Cosmos. I feel like the 2020 version was overseas, and I think oh, the U.S. Yeah, version probably. came it's out like in 2021. Now-ish. Yeah, like, I think <laughs> it was fairly recent in, in where true. it got distributed over Cause, here. Because Cosmos stuff always gets printed in Europe first, and then comes here, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Switch and Signal. It's a cooperative train game. Choo-choo! <laughs> Choo-choo, yeah. So it, it's a cooperative game where you're trying to, like, pick up and deliver cubes from... Or you have trains and you're trying to, like, move them around routes and trying to change the switches and the signals so that the trains can go through the routes, get to cities, pick up cubes, and then deliver it to a different city. And you're playing cards to do this. You have different actions you can do. Everyone has a hand of cards, and they can do actions like change a switch, change the signal, or move a train. That's basically how to play. I did a playthrough on Twitch of a solo playthrough. It's technically two to four players, but like everything's open information, so you could play solo. I played solo two-handed, and it's yeah. 
the same. <laughs> so. And even on Board Game Geek, it specifically, like, it says the player count is two to four, but then it says community has said it's one to four. So, like, yeah, the community has spoken. One. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, it's a cooperative game. You can, pl- you can play most cooperative games solo in a lot of instances. Yeah, unless there's hidden information. But this one, it does not have that. <laughs> it right. even says, like, you can talk about your cards. So when I played multiplayer, I played once multiplayer and once solo. But, like, with multiplayer, we just put our hands out on the table kind of like pandemic you just have your hands out so you can see everyone's cards which is i don't remember i know that like people play pandemic open-handed but in the Mm -hmm. rules of pandemic do you know if that is technically Uh, allowed at least in pandemic pandemic legacy it tells you you do that i don't know about base pandemic because i I think in original pandemic it doesn't (laughs) mention but i know a lot of people play it that way Mm -hmm. and that the fact that you brought up pandemic feels very apropos because this game weight wise feels to me similar to pandemic and it Mm -hmm. also feels like it is kind of suited for a similar audience it is a Mm -hmm. family weight cooperative game the mechanisms are not super complex and luck can factor in pretty heavily which Mm -hmm. for some people that's a bad thing but in a lot of instances that can be good because it makes the the game experience different every time you play Mm -hmm. but for people who really like heavy strategy obviously that can be frustrating at times yeah so when i played multiplayer with my group the we got really bad luck and then people so then uh, my group did not want to play it again (laughs) which is why i played it solo (laughs) but yeah so there's a destination card deck and that's like one card is drawn every turn or it's not called a destination it's it's i don't know what it's called but but it tells you which trains are deployed maybe deployment deck it tells you which trains are deployed and then which trains move so sometimes no trains are deployed sometimes no trains move but there's three different colors of trains and so it will say like oh you put a black train down and then you move the gray train or something and it moves all the colors of the train that it says to but the way you deploy trains is you roll dice and then whatever number comes up is is the location that you deploy the train. So in our multiplayer game, I think we got, there's one card in the deck that has two deployments. Everything else only has one or none. And so we got that one early on and then rolled the same number twice in a row. And if you have to deploy on a spot that's filled, then you lose time tokens, which is bad. So like that happened to us. Yeah, <laughs> that's <unlucky>. frustrating. <laughs> uh, and that was like really early on. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I don't, I truthfully, I like luck in games, in a lot of games that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But like, th- I like the luck to feel kind of more thematic. And this, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, de- the deployment of the trains... did not seem super thematic. I kind of wished that there was some way to mitigate that role or to choose where the trains get deployed. And I recognize Mm -hmm. if you could just choose outright, that would probably make it a little too easy because Mm -hmm. then you don't have to plan as well about which routes you want the trains to go through to pick up goods. But yeah, if they show up all at the same place, that you have no control over that and that can feel frustrating. Yeah, so my group did not like that. But then I should note that there's two sides to the board. There's the Europe map and the North America map. So we played the Europe map because it says that one's like the one you should play first. But then I looked at the North America map rules and each map has like special characters that do one-time special action in the game. And for the North America map, one of the characters lets you choose a deployment place like one time instead of rolling the dice. And then another character lets you like put put one of those cards to the bottom of the deck after you draw it. So both of those, I think, help with that bad luck that we didn't like. So I think our, my group would have liked the North America map better because there's ways to mitigate 
that type of luck, which is the type of luck we didn't like. Whereas I liked, there's also luck in rolling the movement dice of the train. So each train, there's black, gray, and brown trains, and they move at different speeds. The, the way you move it is you roll a die. So like the black die has numbers from th- two to five, and the gray dice has numbers from one to three because it's the slowest. And so I thought that was fine because like you kind of know, oh, this one's going to go fast, but it has a chance of not getting that much. And then you're like, okay, I don't want it to get more than three because it'll crash. And then you roll a five and then it's like, oh no. Yeah. So, but that, that luck was okay for us, I think. what do you think? I agree. And I do think that the, the character, the special power mitigation things are definitely mm-hmm. good. But to that end, I don't understand why the special powers are printed directly on the board There's Mm -hmm. only six of them total, three on one side and three on the other, and they're all unique. And in theory, they could have printed six cards with those special abilities and told you the starting abilities for this side are these three and the other side are these three. But Mm -hmm. after you've, you know, tried out the, this is what we've mathed out as the best ones, or I don't know, obviously why they chose what they chose, but I'm assuming there were reasons for it. But like, I would love the ability to mix up which ones I use in a game. Also, it might be easier to remember about them if there are cards, because in our first game, we forgot about them. (laughs) They're just like all (laughs) in the corner of the board. (laughs) You didn't even use them in your solo playthrough either. You kind of forgot them. Yeah. (laughs) I did remember about it though. Then I was like, oh, I don't need to use it right now. So I know I've mentioned a lot of the things that kind of like the little things that annoy me about the game. But truthfully, I do think that this is a pretty solid family weight Mm co-op. And I think especially if you are a heavy gamer or uh, you enjoy heavier games with train themes, maybe somebody like Ambi, but, Mm -hmm. and you know, your family knows you like train games and they want (laughs) to play a game with you. And you're like, okay, let's play this because it's approachable. (laughs) It's still got that train theme. So they're trying to, you know, hop on board with the thing that you like. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you have a relative like that, maybe builds model trains for a living, like, or something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, people, you can kind of use the theme of a game to bring people in. And this one is light enough mechanically that you could teach it to anybody relatively quickly. So I think in the realm of co-ops, I don't think this is going to be a super popular evergreen game, but I think it's a solid one for sure. Yeah. And I actually enjoyed my solo play when I played it solo because like the luck ended up not being as bad in my solo play the way the deck was. And uh, I, I really like the the main gameplay of the player turns is like figuring out how to move the switches and signals and planning the routes of the trains that you have on there. Like, okay, this needs to go there, but then this one's behind it and it needs to not crash. So you need to move this one first and then switch this to signal the green and stuff like that. Like, I like all of that. And and just like my group did not have good time with the, <laughs> with the deck of cards and the, the deployment. So yeah, yeah, I kind of want to play the North America side with my group because I think we might like that. And I kind of wish we had played that side first. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, you can watch the, the Twitch VOD that we have. I'll link that and you can see see how it plays solo, which is going to be like the same as a two-player game. Yeah, it's a pretty neat one. We mm-hmm. Thank you to Cosmos for sending out review copies yeah. of this one to us. I'm really glad that we got the chance to check it out. Yep. And that was Switch and Signal. Way back in episode 70, more than three years ago, we had the episode titled What's in a Name, where we talked about board game names. And, you know, we discussed a lot of factors that go into what or how names of games get created and our thoughts on what makes good names, bad names and otherwise. And we wanted to revisit this topic just because 
I still am fascinated with words, as you all know, and a lot of new board games have come out in the past three years. The top 100 on BGG has shifted a lot. And I was looking at the games in the top 100 and just kind of thinking like, if I didn't know anything about these games, which ones would intrigue me the most based on their name alone? And so that kind of got the gears in my head turning. So I wanted to talk about this topic again. Yeah, and I tried to look at the top 100 games too, but it's pretty hard for me to remove like the concept of the game because I know what most of these games are about from the name. So I'm finding it hard to like just figure out what is a good name just by itself. Well, do you want to hear some information that I dug up about not board games, but about words and why people like them? Sure. Okay. So the British linguist, David Crystal, I know it's ironic. His last <laughs> name is Crystal. I did not make that up. Here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he conducted some research back in, I believe, 2018. That's when this article was published. So probably mm -hmm. around then on phonesthetics, which is the study of what makes certain sounds beautiful. And unsurprisingly, the most popular words tend to have positive connotations. So similar to what you just said, once you know the meaning of a word or something related to that word, it's hard for people to separate what the word means from the word itself. So positive connotated words are more popular words generally. But the most popular words also have other things in common. They tend to be two or three syllables. They tend to have short vowel sounds and easy to pronounce consonantal sounds. So things like S, M, L, and a lot of the phonemes in those words do not require a lot of energy or effort to be produced. So they produce what are referred to as natural and peaceful tones. I don't know if this will be pleasing for anyone else to hear, but I'm going to read from this article. There's a list of words that fall into this category that I'm going to read ASMR style for you all right now. <laughs> so I'll get real close to my microphone and see what I can do. Autumn. Melody. Lullaby, velvet, luminous, tranquil, marigold, whisper, gossamer, caress. <laughs> so those are some pleasant sounding words. And there's some other things about like the repetition of sounds and what certain sounds evoke, like mm -hmm. S being a prominent sound because it can evoke specific things like the hissing sound of wind or the sea and words with nasal sounds like M can actually be considered soothing. So there's a lot of specific reasons why certain words sound good. But yes, we like there's a lot of other research about like when you learn a word and how your brain kind of digests it because words that you grew up knowing you have different you have you relate the word more to its meaning whereas when you learn words in a foreign language you are more likely to not prescribe how much you like the word to its meaning they've done studies where some of the most popular words that people learn in a foreign language actually sometimes have negative connotations, but they're interesting sounding words. And so when you're learning them as like an adult or an older person, you might like words with negative connotations more from another language. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of like interesting science behind all of this. And I just wanted to share, cause I think, I don't know how much it'll relate to the board game names that we're gonna call out, but I think yeah. there could be some parallels in what game names we like 
and how the words sound potentially. Yeah, was the study just for English speaking people? They talked about native English speakers for the most mm-hmm. part, but they did specifically reference like people who are learning other languages like Spanish. Mm-hmm. The word that they brought up, I do not speak Spanish, so I'm about to butcher this word. <laughs> but the the striking example in this article of a word that people liked, it's the ones that are hard to learn or long. Mm-hmm. When they're difficult to learn, people will often associate positive connotations to them because of the accomplishment of learning the word. So we are proud of the fact that you know this difficult word and therefore it has a positive connotation, even if the word is negative. And the word specifically in this instance is the word that means unfortunately in Spanish, desafortunadamente. I probably really, really messed that up. But it's very long and obviously a little difficult, but not like super difficult to say if you actually know how to pronounce Spanish, unlike <laughs> me. So yeah, this this article, I think, generally focused on English, but it did bring in some Spanish words as examples of that. Because mm-hmm. in board games, the titles are not always English words because there's board games made in lots of different countries. So I guess... For us in America, like where when there's a name that's like from a different country, like Hanabi or something, that's a Japanese word for firework. (laughs) Right. But here for an English speaker, most people, if they hear the word Hanabi, they don't have any meaning to associate with it if you don't know Japanese. So, So for us, it's just that board game. So that's very unique. But then other games that are just English words like Power Grid, like that's kind of generic. So people who don't know it's a board game yet would be like, okay, it's just like a power grid. (laughs) Right, like there's no... Uh, And uh, it's interesting that you bring up Power Grid because we discussed it in uh, the last episode that we talked about when we were discussing Mm -hmm. Friedman Fries's games. You were like, that one doesn't start with an F. And I agreed with you. And then we got reminded later that the the original (laughs) German German title of the game did start with an F. (laughs) And we just both completely forgot that. Yes, Friedman Fries, all Fs, every game, they're all Fs. But that... That brings up another point. If you're a board game publisher and you've published a game in a country, in a language, and you are then going to localize that game in other countries, mm-hmm. I think that it's probably a really interesting decision about whether to change the name or not, because yeah. there are some games that I think probably do benefit from having the same name across multiple distributions and publishings, even mm-hmm. language independent, but you do lose that meaning. Like if If a non-hobby gamer sees Hanabi on the shelf, they will not know what that game is about. They just Mm -hmm. won't if they speak English because there is no meaning to the word Hanabi in English. Well, the art helps a lot with that because it just has pictures of fireworks. (laughs) And that's an interesting uh, way to look at it because board games are not just a name unless you're Mm -hmm. looking at a typed out list, right? Yeah. But I've done that for coworkers. I've typed up a list of games for them like as recommendations And now all they have to go on, unless they look up every single one of them, is just the name. Mm -hmm. So I will say when I do recommend games to people, I do try and pick games with names that are a little interesting. And also Mm -hmm. the games are obviously approachable. So something like King Domino, I think... I even just, I mean, I love the game, but it's a good recommendation because I think people are familiar with dominoes. They, yeah. So they see something familiar, but it also is a little unfamiliar. Like, what's King Domino? Like, what does mm-hmm. that mean? So in my mind, King Domino is actually a really yeah, well-named a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also, like, describes the game kind of because there's, it's like, has domino things and... Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's and you're a building a kingdom. <laughs> that's a good name. Kingdom. 
Domino. Like, it's, yeah. it's kind of perfect. Is King Domino the best named board game? <laughs> I yeah. want to hear from our listeners. Let me know. Because right, I think honestly, <laughs> yeah, like I think it's one of the best. And it just, I mean, it helps that the game is also great. We talked in our, when we did this episode last time about some of the games that have bad names, but I actually wanted to focus more on games that I really like the names of. And so I, I made a, I listed my top five in no particular order. I looked at the top 100 games on Board Game Geek mm-hmm. and I picked my favorite five out of the top 100, just based on the name alone, not based on the gameplay. In no particular order, the ones I wrote down were Food Chain Magnate, Too Many Bones, because really, too, like, when I see that title, I'm like, but wait, how many bones is too many bones? <laughs> like, I want to know. Like, I genuinely want to know what too many bones is. The Quacks of Quedlinburg, because obviously, like, that's just, I, that's intriguing to me. As soon as they started talking about it way back when it was still the German title, the Die Quacksalber von Quedlinburg, I was already intrigued. And that yeah. was even before it was in English. And then Grand Austria Hotel. Shout out to my friend Kathy, who loves that game. I like the name. I think it's evocative. And uh, Isle of Cats, because that's also evocative. Like, oh, an island full of cats? I'm in, I want to know about that, too. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't the make I a like. top five. Yeah. Well, so if, if you're scrolling through the top hundred, though, are mm. there any that stand out to you? One that stood out to me, and also, like, with your talk about words and, and what sounds good, um, with, like, the sound of words of the consonants and vowels and stuff is nemesis even though that's not a like good connotation word but in games you don't always need a good connotation because you're right like, nemesis is like oh there's like some conflict right yeah there's so something evil sounds, happening it sounds cool um but the only problem i think with game names that are too generic like that's just a word so googling it might be hard <laughs> oh that's true so so yeah i think i mentioned this in the last episode where like you have to say name and then board game when you're googling it that makes it harder to find but yeah nemesis does pop out at me i think and then i think i also mentioned twilight struggle last time i think so (laughs) twilight struggle was in 2005 but since then there have been other things that use the name twilight Uh, (laughs) but i think it was a it's a good name because like something struggle right and it's a two-player game so it's more it's talking somewhat about the struggle in the game Absolutely. I think another, just glancing through the list, another game name that sounds pleasing is Cascadia. I really mm-hmm. like the way that word sounds. And yeah. it also is evocative if you are familiar with what that word means. But even if you're not familiar, it still sounds good. And, you know, it's short. It is more mm-hmm. syllables than that article would have suggested are good for a good sounding word. But I, I think it counts. Now I'm thinking Gloomhaven might be a good name, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it actually is. Yeah, Yeah, like, it's weird because Gloomhaven has become so popular that the name has almost lost meaning for me. Yeah, but, like, just thinking Gloomhaven, that's, like, something gloomy, and then... then Yeah, what did it ever mean? I don't know if it ever meant anything to me. the gloom? I don't know. I mean, all it means for me at this point is giant box that's been (laughs) on my shelf for five years unplayed. Yes, but that, that's why it's so hard to come up with what board game names are good, just the name. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, and then there's a lot of names that aren't English. So those those are harder to pronounce for me. Absolutely. There are some game names that are very difficult to pronounce or even understand. 
And mm-hmm. I honestly, I do not envy board game publishers in this day and age because there are even, you know, we're, we're now two years into a pandemic and even with kind of some publishers slowing things down a little bit, there are still so many board games being churned out every single year. Mm-hmm. And to stand out in the crowd, you kind of have to hit everything right. Like the yeah. game needs to be good. The artwork needs to look good. The, the name needs to work. And even one of those factors being off feels like it could, you know, theoretically make a game less noticeable or less popular than it otherwise would be. And that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I, do, I don't, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't envy publishers or designers in this day and age. When I designed my board game uh, a few years back for the Gincant contest, I was very, I, w- I had to come up with an interesting name. That was like the one thing <laughs> I definitely had to do. And so since it is a game about building crossword puzzles, I was like, is there a word for the name of a person who creates crossword puzzles? Like that seems like it might exist. And so I Googled it and found that a person who creates crossword puzzles puzzles is called a cruciverbalist. And so that is the name of the board game I designed. Mm -hmm. It was never formally published in case y'all haven't heard me talk about it before, but it is available as a print and play online. It's on Board Game Geek. So if you're curious about playing a underdeveloped roll and write game (laughs) that I designed, feel free to go look it up. There have been a few people that have played it and really enjoyed it. I still think it needs a lot of work if I ever (laughs) want to do anything with it. But I haven't mentioned that in a really long time. And that was fun to mention because I really like the name I chose for it. Like if I... That is a good name. If I ever got it published formally, I would be very... I would very much want to keep the name. I would mm-hmm. fight against a publisher if they tried to, <laughs> to rename it because I'm ve- I feel very strongly about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we would love to hear from you all what game names sound the most pleasing or which ones evoke some really good feelings in you. Aside from how good the game plays or not, what names are your favorite? So head over to our Board Game Geek Guild or hit us up on our usual social media places and let us know what game names are your faves. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. The game found campaign for Last Light, which is also a pretty good name for a board game, is launching any day now, so head to lastlightgame.com to learn even more. And don't forget that Blitzkeep Heroes get 20% off non-exclusive items at grayfoxgames.com when you use the code GFGBLITZ2022 at checkout. Join the Blitzkeep Heroes community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mara. Technical support provider by Toby Mount. Until next time... Walk through the store, right down the lane. That game has a good name. Good name. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> um, okay. Um is not the thing to start with. Like, um. <laughs> like, that's what popped out of my mouth. That's helpful. Yeesh. Oh, I need to say something. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's a podcast. You don't have to talk. <laughs> you can just... <laughs> I just mime the whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>